This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 454, flashback to Amazing Spider-Man 279 to 281. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode number 254. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is a flashback episode. This is a flashback to Amazing Spider-Man 279 to, uh, well, technically 281. Um, now, I, I have done an episode, I think this was like over a year and a half ago, where I did a flashback to some of the first comics I remember reading as a kid. Um, and I recently was kind of going through that episode, and I don't believe I ever actually mentioned uh, the issues of 279, 281 of Amazing Spider-Man. I have a bit of a weird way that I actually first um, came into be, uh, contact with these comics, because the actual issues themselves... Um, Amazing Spider-Man 279 to 281 are, are quite old. Um, they were originally published, I believe, in 1987, I think. Um, so much, much earlier than I would have been reading uh, these comics. I mean, I was four years old. I'm pretty sure I didn't read them at the time. But I read them later on. Actually, they might even be from 86. Um now that I think about it, I think it's during the 25th anniversary of, of uh, kind of the Marvel age. Um, so I was definitely not reading them when they first came out. So my way of, of uh, interacting with these comics was much later. Yeah, it is part of Marvel's 25th anniversary, so it's 1986. Um, so my interaction with these particular comics uh, was actually in 1994. Um, so it's eight issues after, you know, these, these sorry, eight years after these issues had first come out. Um I have mentioned before where, you know, I didn't first find out about an actual comic book store probably till the mid-90s, mid to late-90s. Um, so in 94, I would have been, you know, 10, 10 and a half, and then turning 11 at the end of the year. Um, so I was still in that formative age. Um, comics were still on newsstands, which obviously is something that doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, and I remember that year, um, I had... Two issues, and this I did talk about in my first comic books as a kid episode, two issues of uh, Adventures of Superman, and I traded one of them away, um, although my dad worked at a, a printing company at the time, um, a small little print shop, so he actually took photocopies of every page so I, for a long, many years, and I don't know where I have it. I have it somewhere, and at some point I think I'm just going to buy these issues outright to have them and own them again, um, but I bought this particular issue, my first issue of Adventures of Superman. Um, sorry, it was given to me, and then I had a photocopy of it. Anyways, I traded it away to this kid in my class for uh, Spider-Man 35. Spider-Man 35 came out in 1994. Um, it was, I believe, part four of the Maximum Carnage saga. And I would then go to the newsstand and buy the remaining issues. And that summer, I, uh, so I, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, in Canada, and we would go uh, up... A little bit north northeastern Ontario, near uh, the nation's capital, Ottawa. Uh, my grandmother lived up there, so we would go visit her for like a week or so with my mom and my sister. And not far from uh, her place, I was able to walk to um, a little convenience store called Becker's, which actually I don't believe really exists in, in Canada anymore. I think the name was bought out and was still being operated by uh, Max Milk, but I think, it, I think it's discontinued now uh, for those who are in Canada and might actually know about Becker's. Um, and I used to walk to the store, and, and, and I was able to buy, you know, comics and stuff. And it was that summer, because it was the Maximum Carnage kind of summer, I remember I was able to pick up uh, parts, uh, now my memory's going to fail me, uh, I believe part 7, which was an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, I know part 11, part, uh, I want to say part 12, 
Uh, I think those were the only issues I was actually able to get my hands on. And as a kid, like you kind of make it, you you uh, fill in the blanks from the stuff you missed. Uh, but that summer as well, they all, I also bought some issues of Marvel Tales. Now Marvel Tales now is is it's been long gone. Um, at the, and actually, I didn't realize this till I was even just about to record this episode that Marvel Tales only ran until I believe epi- uh, issue two hundred ninety one. Uh, issue two ninety one, I believe, was the last issue of the series. Yep, uh, and it would have been cover dated uh, November 1994. So, not that long before uh, you know the book was cancelled is when I was picking up some issues. So the issues I picked up were Marvel Tales uh, 287 and 288. And so, and, and these have you know new covers on these books. Um, and it's reprinting, you know, older older issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Years later, I would I would have the Marvel Tales um, two it was two issues in one, but it was uh, both parts of the Death of Gwen Stacy. Uh, that'd be years later that I would pick it up, but it's obviously a much older issue uh, than this particular than Marvel Tales eight, two eighty seven. Um, but that's how I originally first you know read the Death of Gwen Stacy long before you know I was able to get a trade of it or anything like that. Marvel Tales used to kind of be the place to go, so you got all these great reprints. So I remember this particular summer picking up these issues. So I picked up Marvel Tales uh, 287, probably just because I saw Spider-Man on the cover. Because I'm trying to think, like, what, 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 you know, kind of possessed me to pick this up? Um, and so they had Marvel Tales featuring Spider-Man, as I said, in the cover, uh, issue 287. And they also had, uh, two, I also was also able to get 288 that summer, um, which was, again, Marvel Tales featuring Spider-Man. And then for years, I never got to finish the story. So these particular issues covered issues of Amazing Spider-Man, so issues uh, 279 to 281. Now, at the time, again, as a kid, I didn't really understand that it was a reprint book. Um, like, I was reading with these characters, and obviously it was very different from where the characters were in a Maximum Carnage, but you don't, again, you don't, it's interesting the things as kids, you don't really put it all together, you don't really realize what, you know, what discord there is, because, you know, in the intervening eight years, um, Peter was now with Mary Jane, he was married, um, his parents were back, like, a lot of shit had changed, but as a kid, I was just kind of like, uh, like, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm enjoying it, um, so I didn't really even notice, and, like, I remember at the end of these Marvel Tales issues, which I don't even know where I have my Marvel Tales issues anymore, if I still actually have them, which is sad, but they were so weather-beaten, like, I was reading them all summer, like, I was, these Maximum Carnage issues were eaten up, they looked like, you know, they went through, they really were run through the mill, but because that's, as a kid, if you love something, you're going to read it, you're going to bring it everywhere, you're going to put it in, the, bring it to, in long drives in the car, you're going to bring it with you, even short drives in the car, you're always going to have your comics with you, um, you don't have plastic boards yet, like, you just, you're just loving comics, and I Part of me kind of misses that 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 sense. I mean, it was easier when comics were relatively cheaper. Obviously, um, they're a lot more expensive now. They feel like a much more of an investment, so you just don't want them necessarily to go to, you know, be blown to smithereens. Plus, at the time, comics were more disposable in terms of the paper, so you could more easily like. Not that I ever, I think, remember folding in a couple of comics, but you just you just bring comics everywhere. Like, comics were just something you, you brought. Like, this was exciting. This was fun. Uh, you're reading Spider-Man comics and having a great time. At the end of each issue, it would it would have a cover, and I, as a kid, I didn't really understand that. It was, it was showing me the original cover, um, but I didn't even realize. So, like, when I look at the covers of the actual Amazing Spider-Man issues, I know the covers because they were at the end of Marvel Tales, but there actually are different images. Um, so it's, it's one of those weird things where you don't even realize it's okay you're reading a reprint with new art, new artwork on the cover, and then you're reading like an, an older comic. Um, so years later, 
I realized uh, I, I don't usually like buying the weird compilation trades where you know you're just kind of getting a smattering of stories against particular villains or with a different character like i like runs that's why i love the epic collections i like getting a concise consistent run that uh you know is spread over a certain amount of issues all usually chronologically um here i was able to pick up and find the spider-man versus silver Saber, silver sable trade which i would never normally have picked up I don't think. Because it's got a weird kind of smattering of books by different art writers and creators. Uh, it collects Amazing Spider-Man 265, 279 to 281, and Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 128 to 129. So it is a weird grab bag. Uh, you have uh, Silver Sable's, I guess, first appearance. You have another appearance uh, in Amazing Spider-Man, and then an appearance in Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, which is nowhere near as good and has uh, features a version of, um, I believe, uh, The Black Cat, uh, which is probably the most awful depiction in terms of her costume ever. It just looks bad. Um, I don't even remember, and I know I've, I've read this entire trade, but I don't remember those issues at all, and probably for good reason. And at the back of this trade, to remind you that, uh, you know, weird um, uh, trading cards used to be a thing, you got this artwork by Joe Jusco, um, by Greg and Tim Hildebrand, who did a lot of uh, trading cards back in the day, and Julie Bell, and they were very much like, whoa, look how hot and attractive Silver Sable is. And it's just kind of like weird. It's weird to look at it. Just the way that they they do them and the the the, uh, the colors too. They just don't look right. The Hildebrandt one probably looks the classiest. Um, the other two, not nearly as much. Um, so I'm not actually going to talk about Silver Sable's first appearance, but I am going to talk about the second issue in this trade, which is Amazing Spider-Man 279, which again, for me, was in Marvel Tales 287. Um, I absolutely adore the Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends uh, run on Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I wish that we had just kind of... Uh, uh, eventually, it's all going to be collected in the uh, trade paperbacks anyway for the Epic Collection. We have a lot of it in you know the Alien Costume Trades, uh, the Shadows of the Past uh, Epic Collection so far for Amazing Spider-Man. I just can't wait to have all of it. Um, I will always have a special place in my heart for issues 279 to 281, uh, just because of how I came across them, and you're always going to love things from your childhood, even if they're not necessarily great. But here, I'm, I'm benefited from the fact that they actually are. Um, so, what's interesting about these issues, considering again, I was a kid, didn't know what I was picking up, is that um, there's kind of an, an unofficial crossover that happens uh, in issue 279. It's called uh, "Where Is Spider-Man," and the idea is that in Web of Spider-Man, there was an explosion. And uh, while I believe Peter Parker was on an assignment somewhere, and now he's missing. Um, and so, which means Spider-Man's missing. So all of his books uh, didn't feature Spider-Man that month because he was supposed to be missing. So in Web of Spider-Man, an explosion happens. You read all these issues of Amazing. He's not around. This was obviously an editorial concept um, to maybe draw some more attention to Web of Comics, uh, sorry, Web of uh, Spider-Man as well, just to kind of show that things that happen there do matter. Um, so something happens. He's taken off the board temporarily. And you get all of these Where is Spider-Man books. Now, I did not read know that as a kid. And on the Marvel Tales issue... It didn't say it on the cover either. It just shows Spider-Man's, I guess, shadow. Um, and so you can kind of pick it up. But if you didn't know what you were looking for, you probably wouldn't know that Spider-Man wasn't going to show up. Um, I believe on the cover, I'm just trying to remember here. Uh, on the cover, he's wearing, you know, his traditional... Oh, you know, I, I take that back. It does say, with Spider-Man missing, Silver Sable is left to face Jack Lantern alone. Well... I mean, you don't necessarily know that he's actually going to be, like, not even in the book. Like, there's one thing for Spider-Man to be missing. There's another thing for Spider-Man to, you know, physically not even show him up in the comic at all. So 
Amazing Spider-Man 279, if we look at the cover, it says, Mission in Action continues in this issue. Where is Spider-Man? Action, intrigue, suspense, face a true believer. This one's got it all, except the guy with the webs. And it's the face-off between the jack-o'-lantern and Silver Sable. Um, great cover. Uh, and then the actual issue is uh, penciled by Rick Leonardi. Uh, so obviously this is during the Ron Friends run, but uh, we do have a few issues where he does not show up, and this is one of them. Um, written by Tom DeFalco. Uh, it's a decidedly offbeat spider tale in the Mary Marvel tradition, mainly because Spider-Man is not there. Um, so Silver Sable kind of takes the lead. She had shown up once before, and now we get to more of her and the Wild Pack and seeing how she kind of interacts and has to deal with, um, you know, some basically going after the Jack-O-Lantern. Um, and he's the, the new um, uh, target for Silver Sable. Uh, and you, you get an idea of who Jason McIndale is, which is interesting. You know, again, this is very early. Uh, a couple years later, then I see him as the Hobgoblin, and I had to draw the connection. Like, how did he become the Hobgoblin? What happened here? Like, he was the Jack-O-Lantern. Um, and so, like, it's a, it's, it's a nice little Silver Sable issue. You have a lot of other characters showing up. Like, you have uh, J. Jonah Jameson and uh, Robert Robertson because Silver Sable wants to find Spider-Man to get his help, uh, maybe to pay him to assist with taking down the Jack-O-Lantern. Uh, you have MJ. At this time, she's not, like, a, a supermodel yet. She's just a runway model. Um, and, you know, she's trying to find Peter, can't find him. Uh, the Jack-O-Lantern wants to go up against Silver Sable and... Uh, like, have, have a bit of a showdown there. Silver Sable is dealing with a lot of her own personal demons here, which is interesting. Um, we get the idea that something bad is happening with Flash Thompson because he's sitting in jail, because uh, he's wondering where Peter is. He was, Peter's supposed to visit him because he's in jail because they think he's the Hobgoblin, um, which is, again, in and around that era. Um, and, again, then you have Jack-O-Lantern facing off against Silver Sable, which, again, Jack-O-Lantern is not necessarily thought of as being that um, impressive a villain. But here... Uh, he's up against someone who is well skilled, uh, but he's not superhuman. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, her being able to take on Jack O'Lantern, not being able to actually defeat him, but being able to temporarily kind of um, uh, stun him, and he kind of runs away. And then at the end of the issue, we get a sense of what is going on uh, during, you know, with uh, I guess Temple Corners, Virginia, where there is a rocks on explosion, and Joy Mercado can't find Peter Parker, and we just see fragments of the Spider-Man costume, and that's kind of where it ends. Um, always liked the, this issue as a kid. Uh, liked the focus on Silver Sable. I don't even know if I noticed as a kid that Spider-Man didn't even show up. There's one or two shots of Spider-Man, but you don't actually see him in action. But, not to worry, Amazing Spider-Man 280. Um, you have a black costume Spider-Man. Again, as a kid, I don't know if I made the connection that this wasn't the symbiote or not. Um, it's just cloth. Pretty sure I did. But who knows? I was 10 years old. Like I'm going to give myself a lot of slack here. Now, the, I have always loved the Sinister Syndicate, and it's because of this comic. It's because of the, you know, again, I was 10 years old, and I picked up this book, and you got the Sinister Syndicate here. I didn't know this was the first appearance of the Sinister Syndicate. I just liked that they were this team. Um, trying to think, 94, I think the Spider-Man animated series had started Maybe not yet. I don't remember what time of year it started because this might, I might have actually seen the Sinister Syndicate before I ever saw. Well, definitely, actually. Now that I think about it, the second season of Spider-Man is where you actually got to see the Insidious Six. Um, so it's been a while. So I, this was my first kind of Spider-Man team uh, or villain team I had seen, um, and I still like the the um, the cast. So the cover is by Ron Friends, I believe. I mean, I don't actually see his name on the cover, but I believe it is. Uh, I know he did uh, the interiors to this issue. Uh, he did the... Sorry, actually, maybe I'm wrong. 
He did the layouts. Oh, this is a revelation to me. Issue 280, we got LeBron Friends and the layouts, Brett Breeding on pencils and inks. Uh, great looking issue, though. Um, and uh, we got the first appearance of the Sinister Syndicate with Speed Demon, The Beetle, Rhino, Hydra Man, and Boomerang. I will always love, always love these villains, partially because of this. Again, this is my first team that I really got to see. And what's funny to me is that because I was reading this in Marvel Tales, I never got to finish it. I never got to finish this storyline until years later. Um, I remember... At this time, older issues of Amazing Spider-Man were out of my price range when I did discover comic book stores. Um, not that I – they probably weren't even that expensive, but they were expensive enough, again, as a kid, that these are from like you know eight to ten years earlier. Um, this is during kind of the boom era, so of course everything is more expensive than it should be and has any right to be. And so I didn't actually get to read the, the conclusion of the story until perhaps reading this trade, now that I think about it. Which is so weird that as a kid, you can just kind of read something, not get the ending, and that's okay. And if you did that now, if I gave you an issue and it has like a cliffhanger, uh, that'd probably piss you off. And either you go find it or you would never read that other issue again because you'd be like, well, why did you give me part one? Why didn't you give me part two? As a kid, you're just kind of like, yeah, part one's awesome. Doesn't matter that there's no part two. Again, I've said about this on the podcast before is that my kids, sorry, my kids, my parents, uh, when raising me, um, they would record movies off TV. And so two of the biggest uh, trilogies of the 80s, or well, 70s and 80s, um, Star Wars and Back to the Future, I was missing the second chapters or the middle chapters of both of those because of how they recorded them off TV. Uh, I guess Back to the Future 2 and Empire Strikes Back just weren't on television, which. Uh, I remember as a kid always seeing Return of the Jedi and Spider-Man and, and Star Wars, never seeing The Empire Strikes Back. Anyway, so for years, I didn't get to see those. It wasn't until, you know, I, I was older that I actually got a chance to read them or listen, watch them. Man, my, I am all over the place today. Um, so, I mean, I, so I, I have kind of a weird uh, way of looking at, you know, Back to the Future because I got to watch, you know, chapters one three, and then two years later, and then same thing with Star Wars. Uh, it's an interesting way to be introduced to something. So this issue of Amazing Spider-Man 280, there is so much going on, and yet it is so great. Um, you jump in with Spider-Man trying to rescue Silver Sable, which, again, considering the last issue, how it ended with you know Silver Sable having been defeated and trying to take out uh, Jack-O-Lantern, but it'd be still being able to take out this thug that was important to her because of what happened in the issue, not being able to find Spider-Man, she's kind of annoyed. Um, and then, you know, in us wondering where Spider-Man is and then boom, next issue, Spider-Man's jumping around and saving Silver Sable. And it's like, whoa, I, and this is what I love about, you know, eighties comics or just older comics in general, but especially the eighties, it seems like, um, I love some of the narration and this is so DeFalco and I love this about DeFalco. Uh, we have, um, the, the first page of the issue, Stanley presents Spider-Man, introducing the Sinister Syndicate. And then we got some narration here. The time, now. The place, Coney Island Park. The object, murder. And then at the uh, bottom of the page, confused faithful reader, don't be. Just turn this pulsating page and all will soon be explained. Love it. Love that stuff. Um, and then we get to see, you know, Spider-Man running away from, you know, trying to avoid being hit by the beetle and then jumping so he doesn't get hit by the rhino, uh, boomerang coming in on uh, Silver Sable. We've got Speed Demon, Beetle trying to get Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man then getting punched in the face by Hydra-Man. And then this is, again, very classic uh, trope of these types of comics. Spider-Man's on the ground. He goes, the beetle, the rhino, boomerang, Speed Demon, and now Hydro-Man. What is this, Old Villains Week? How did I ever get involved in a mess like this? Turn the page, and it's a flashback to leading us up to the story. 
love this type of stuff. Um, so Spider-Man's, you know, back in town. We get a reference to uh, Web of Spider-Man 16 to 18. Uh, he's, you know, he's reading the newspaper and he finds the ad where Silver Sable is looking for Spider-Man. So he decides, okay, let's let's see what's going on um, and why she's trying to get my attention. So he kind of shows up and he's eating sandwiches at, at, um, at Silver Sable's. And uh, basically he's like, you know, I need, need your help taking out, um, um, you know, uh, Jack-O-Lantern. And then it's interesting because then we have, you know, Spider-Man being like, oh, I, Silver doesn't realize that I recently decided to give up being Spider-Man. Yeah, no wonder. You're dressed in a Spider-Man costume. Maybe you shouldn't have showed up. Uh, again, as a kid, didn't notice or even probably notice that that even happened. Uh, then we have a couple pages of Flash Thompson's ongoing uh, issues with Shashan showing up to his, his girlfriend. Um saying that, you know, I'm not, I'm not Hobgoblin, I need your help, I need your testimony, and Shashan's not even talking to him, mainly because of, uh, you know, he, he was he was cheating on her with Betty Brant, so she's not really trusting him, and uh, then we have um, Betty, Betty showing up, as well as, you know, the Flash's lawyer, and it's an interesting kind of uh, meeting of Betty and Shashan. The soap opera elements are, are obviously heightened here, but... Um, it also just feels like, you know, how are they going to get Flash out of this? Like, and I, I, I've always loved the whole subplot of Flash Thompson being framed for being the Hobgoblin, him being in jail, um, him, them trying to figure out how to get him out, him eventually escaping. Um, I, I, I've always been a big, a big fan of that plot line. I just think it's really interesting. Um, it adds an extra de- de- development where these characters are impacted by Peter's life, uh, but not directly. Uh, I mean, guess directly, but not necessarily the way we would expect. And we don't, we as as the the readers don't really know exactly what's going on. We know that he's been framed, but we don't know how he's going to get out of it. And you know, Peter has to wonder if it's even possible um, that he really is the Hobgoblin. Like, it, it's just really interesting to see these characters having to grapple grapple with something like this. And you know, this is why Spider Man decides to kind of take the gig with uh, Silver Sable. He doesn't want to do it. But he wants to be able to help his friend. He wants to be able to uh, have money to help Flash Thompson um, so that he can you know, pay for his legal defense because he's, he's his friend and he doesn't believe that he's actually the Hobgoblin and wishes he could help in some way. But in his, you know, his, his poor, you know, down on his luck, Peter Parker lo- uh, life, he just doesn't have the money to be able to afford a lawyer. Um, interesting thing, too, is that we have people smoking, which, again, isn't a big deal now. Uh, sorry, then I mean, but nowadays it's kind of interesting thing that to notice that you know the the lawyer is is smoking. Um, you know, it's just these are just how you know it's it's not uh, these days. These days in comics, you just wouldn't see that. Um, so you have Spider Man and and uh, Silver Sable. They know where Jacqueline is going to be, although they know it's a trap, a setup, but that's why she wants Spider-Man along to try and take him out. And so they show up at Coney Island, and here we have the Sinister Syndicate. And I love how, you know, the art is is, is done here. I love how Spider-Man kind of tries to take on all these guys uh, all at once. You have Silver Sable trying to kind of... Um, run away from, you know, Boomerang and Beetle. Um, I love Spider-Man, you know, kind of getting knocked around by a Speed Demon and then being able to stop him, but in order to do it, it kind of really hurts his arm. Um, and then you have, you know, again, the Rhino against him. Now, here's where I really enjoy is that you have um, Jack-O-Lantern, you know, kind of having set this all up and he's really proud of himself. Uh, you have Betty Brant walking around, walking along and being really worried about what to do about Flash and then also Ned Leeds is trying to leave her. And again, in and around this time, I think I must have read like some sort of 
maybe a year later, I read like I think the Jackal Files or something. Or like I, I've run this time. I think I started to know that that Ned Leeds was the Hobgoblin. Again, that is no longer true. But at this time, he was. And he had already been killed off, obviously, but I'm reading something in 94 that had already happened in 86. Uh, in 86, they didn't know that it was actually the Hobgoblin yet, but there was definitely a lot of uh, speculation about that, and that would come out shortly thereafter. Um, we got a page here of the Sandman uh, living a life as uh, as Mr. Baker, and... Um, I'm I, oh, sorry, Sylvester Mann, I should say. That was the, I forgot what his name was. And I always like the idea that we have you know a, a reformed version of Flint Marco, uh, which is leading into a huge character development for him that would then be ripped away uh, in 1998, 99, um, when they kind of just retconned that he was going to be villain again, took away everything that was heroic or nice about him. Um, that was during the Mackie Burn run. Uh, on the next chapter of Spider-Man issues, uh, which is unfortunate because I always liked the development of the Sandman kind of being like, well, why am I doing this? And him trying to turn over a new leaf and be a good person, uh, which we see a, a little bit of here. And there's obviously this is part of why I kind of connect with that. Is Again, this is part of this comic I read when I was 10 years old, and those things kind of put an imprint on you more than you realize at the time. Um, again, we have Beetle. And again, I like that Beetle is often thought of as being kind of a low-rent Spider-Man villain. Uh, so is Boomerang, for that matter. A lot of the Sinister Syndicate are not necessarily Spider-Man villains who are given a lot of credit, usually. But in a setting where it's Spider-Man and Silver Sable, and there's numbers, and there's a bunch of them, it actually works a lot better. Uh, it makes them more fearsome. Uh, not even fearsome, but it makes them more of a threat. Even though, you know, Boomerang is still being able to uh, be taken out by a Silver Sable relatively easily. And then Beetle's kind of like, almost the heavy. Uh, it's interesting when Beetle and Rhino are kind of your, your big guns. Um, you have another issue of... Um, uh, Mary Jane, you know, trying to find out what's going on uh, with Peter uh, and also noticing that, you know, Roderick Kingsley spends an awful lot of time in his back room. Um, now, this is interesting, too. Knowing what we know now is that we see who we believe to be Roderick Kingsley uh, talking with someone in shadow um, who has the a pumpkin bomb in his hand. And uh, obviously, that's the Hobgoblin. Now, we know that now that it, it's actually not Roderick. Uh, that was talking to MJ, it was Daniel Kingsley, and it was Roderick Kingsley in the shadow. But again, in 1996 or 1994, that's not the way it was. In fact, we would think that Ned Leeds was actually the man in the shadow, um, which is based on the revelations that happened later. Uh, it's interesting, too, that I, I love how situated in the Marvel Universe this is, because you have Jason Philip McIndale you know, showing up and... Um, trying to, you know, rent himself out to the Hobgoblin, sorry, to the Kingpin. Uh, and the Kingpin's like, well, I recently hired someone. I hired Nuke. That did not go well. So it's really kind of a done-in-one for, for in terms of Nuke being able to be used. Um, and then you have the Jack Lantern going to the Rose and being like, you know, I could uh, I can do stuff for you. I know that you worked with the Hobgoblin. I could bust him out of jail for you if you want, or I could take his place. Uh, and the Rose is like, you know, he obviously knows that that you know Hobgoblin is not in jail that that was a plant, um, but then he's like, well, maybe I can get them to kill each other. Um, we flash back to Coney Island, and again the, the fight continues between Spider-Man and the Sinister Syndicate. Uh, Spider-Man's hurt, obviously hurt his arm when fighting Speed Demon. Uh, him and Silver Sable are you know running along. They're under or inside of a, a roller coaster, and then the rest of the Sinister Syndicate's like, let's bring it down upon them. So they start you know zapping it and smashing it, and Spider-Man and Silver Sable are inside, and then the the whole kind of thing comes down, and then we see half a mile away, we see. Uh, Sylvester Mann, otherwise known as the uh, the Sandman, seeing what happens and wondering, and starts to run towards the explosion. Uh, definitely setting up like a, a big kind of next act. Uh, you have the shadowy 
Hobgoblin, finding out about Jack Lantern trying to either take over uh, as the Hobgoblin or bust him out of jail or, you know, kind of horning in on his turf. Uh, we have him uh, leave a building and then we have uh, MJ running into him. So again, we don't know who it is. So retroactively, it's supposed to be Kingsley, who now, you know, MJ's run into, um, which some of her reactions to him make it seem like it couldn't be Kingsley, which obviously it was not intended to be. Um, uh, but it, with it being Ned Leeds, it makes more sense because MJ runs into this shadowy man and is like, well, look who we have here. You're usually the last person I expect to run into on the street, which would fit Kingsley, but her speaking this way to him wouldn't because she just ran into Kingsley most recently, uh, a couple pages ago. And it's always a pleasure to see you, Mary Jane. Isn't it, though? And then it's like... The, so anyways, it's been it's really interesting as to who... DeFalco had in mind at the time, and I believe I don't I think it was supposed to be Leeds that he had in mind. Um, I can't remember everything. It's such a convoluted story of of how they kind of did everything with the Hobgoblin. And then you lead into the last page of the issue where Spider Man and uh, and Silver Sable are kind of under the rubble of this roller coaster, and then they are being atta- about to be attacked by the Sinister Syndicate. And it just says. Uh, uh, Next issue, Spider-Man and Silver continue their battle against the Sinister Syndicate. Hobgoblin takes on Jack-O-Lantern. Sandman versus Hydra-Man. Don't miss when warriors clash. Plus a startling development in the saga of Flash Thompson. And then, so that's my that's that's the issue I had of, uh, of Marvel Tales. It ends with that, because I had the two issues. And then I didn't get to read issue 281 of Amazing Spider-Man for literally years. Uh, probably over ten years, I think. Uh, I would see the uh, the cover, couldn't afford the, the comic, and didn't get to read it for, for years and years and years. So it's I have such fond memories and uh, such strong memories of those two issues of Marvel Tales, uh, 288 and 287, uh, which we print, uh, you know, 279 and 280 of Amazing Spider-Man, and then I had nothing left. I had nothing else. I had no other frame of reference because I never got to finish the story. And reading that kind of lead-up, it definitely sounds like a really exciting issue, too. You get all this stuff, awesome stuff is about to come up. You know, these big battles. So you get more of the Sinister Syndicate battle against Spider-Man and Silver. They're obviously, you know, down and out. How are they going to get out of this? You're going to see this awesome fight between Jack-O-Lantern and Hobgoblin. Uh, all this stuff is coming up. Salmon versus Hydra-Man, which, as a kid, I didn't know that they'd already had kind of the Mudman phase. And then I, I, I never got to read it, uh, which drove me crazy for years. And now in this trade, I get to actually read it. And it's interesting. I like the issue. Uh, it definitely pays off on some of uh, what we got going before. Um, but I don't, in my mind, it's almost like it can't quite live up to the expectation of a 10-year-old who reads all that description and can't wait to read it and then never does. Um, so even though I like it, I, I wish I could go back in time, give this trade to my 10-year-old self and say, hey, you should read this. You might actually like this. Um, and so I will talk about the issue. I don't have as much to say about it. I do like it. Uh, when I finally got to read it, it was nice to kind of see Sinister Syndicate up against Spider-Man and, um, and Silver. And then you have the Sandman showing up. And that's kind of the big thing here is that you have Sandman kind of making a, a big turn as he go, comes to their rescue. Um, you also have um, as I said, Jack-O-Lantern, I really like Jack-O-Lantern mostly because I had a bit of a history with these issues when I was younger. Um, you have, now I can't even remember some of this stuff, but you have J. Jonah Jameson and Robbie Robertson kind of working late and they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, Flash Thompson couldn't possibly be Hobgoblin. I mean, yes, the, the case is convincing, but it's almost too convincing. I must find this way. And you have Robbie Robertson saying, the answer's been right here all along. These pictures may prove that Flash Thompson is not the Hobgoblin. Uh, we then move away from that. We have uh, the Rhino against Sandman, which is kind of funny that it ends up being like they, they run into each other, and then Sandman is a cloud of sand, 
and uh, and I don't know what the plan was there. Like, I don't know what Salmon thought he was going to do, and I don't even know why he would necessarily get smashed to pieces by the rhino. And then you have Sandman whirling around and then making so he can't reform and he's just in pain. It's just like, what? Um, like, I don't know if all that works. You have Flash Thompson's lawyer trying to trying to talk to him about the case, and then you have the uh, Jack Lantern showing up, trying to to rescue Flash so that he can, uh, he can you know, break him out of jail, thinking that he is the Hobgoblin. Uh, Flash tries, tries to attack him, and then he gets, uh, Jack Lantern knocks him out and runs away with Flash, so, you know, he escapes with him. You have uh, the, the Rose telling Hobgoblin what's going on. Hobgoblin's like, oh man, this is going to ruin everything. I had such a great plan. So he takes off. Rose obviously has... Um, an ulterior motive, hoping that these the two, you know, the basically Hobgoblin one and Hobgoblin two will take themselves out. Obviously, at the time they didn't know that they were going to be replacing uh, Hobgoblin with Jack Lantern once they killed off the first Hobgoblin, but eventually it would happen. Um, again, love to see Hydra Man and uh, Sandman fighting each other. Although it doesn't really make sense because like their their power should just be mixing with each other too much that. It, like you have a, a a cool blast here where uh, Hydra Man's like blasting uh, Sandman in the, in the chest, but it almost looks like he severs him into two pieces, which doesn't really make sense. It's it just it's a weird image, and then fighting each other and like having water splashing off against like the sand like it's nothing doesn't really make sense either. Like these two men should just be full water, full sand. There's no easy way about this. Um, next page, you have Jack Lantern again wondering what you know what happened to uh, Flash and why he, you know, he fought him. Then you have the Hobgoblin show up. This one, Jack Lennon realizes what's going on that uh, that Thompson was upon. It's a great shot, though, of the Hobgoblin breaking in. Um, one of my favorite Hobgoblin shots, actually. It's just something about it. Uh, it's one of those kind of classic shots where you don't see the mask. You just see the eyes uh, and then just like the, um, like the shadow over the rest of the mask uh, underneath the, the uh, cloaked hood. Um, you have him on top of the glider. It just looks awesome. Um, just some really great payoffs here where the Goblin and Jack Lantern kind of end up at a, at a, at a not a, a stalemate because neither one really wins, but they both they definitely take their licks uh, and get hurt and injured. Um, and the fight between uh, the Sinister Syndicate and Spider-Man works out pretty well, except for you know Sinister Syndicate does escape. Um, and Spider-Man obviously is, is really kind of out of it and uh, barely able to kind of escape uh, because he got hit so bad. Uh, and you have Sandman kind of talking to uh, Silver Sable and her kind of being like, well, maybe I can get you a job. Maybe I can give you some employment. And this is going to be a huge development for the character for like the next 10 years until they retcon all of it away in the late 80s, sorry, late 90s. And then Flash now uh, is able to escape and he's now on the run and doesn't know what to do. And this is, you know, very compelling stuff with Flash is because, you know, he, he was arrested. They think that he's the Hobgoblin and now he's on the run. What's going to happen next? Um, so really, really like this. Uh, great, great issue. Um, the whole, all three issues I think are really strong. I think they're really good stuff. Um, I think they're very enjoyable to read. Um, written really well by Tom DeFalco. Uh, there's so many subplots running. Um, so many different things happening. It just feels like you're, you are getting... Uh, it's not just, you know, the kind of the, the A story. There's, there's A, A stories, B stories. Like you got the, everything with the criminal underworld with, uh, the Rose 
and Kingpin and them kind of jostling for, you know, for supremacy. Also the Hobgoblin there, Hobgoblin and Jack-O-Lantern. You've got, you know, uh, what's going on with, um, uh, you know, who is the Hobgoblin uh, and, you know, who's MJ meet on the street and what's going on with Flash. And there's just so much going on. They feel very loaded, these comics. Um, and I really enjoy that about them. Uh, and I think that's true with a lot of kind of older comics is that they just had more plot lines going on. Um, they weren't as necessarily focused, but I think that works. Uh, because there's so much going on and they're able to see these stories and then things come up and uh, I really like that. So anyways, thank you for uh, downloading this episode and listening to me blather on about Amazing Spider-Man 279 to 281. Uh, Give them a shot, you know, pick them up. Uh, Some great art. It's fun stuff. Uh, It's fun 80s Spider-Man. Great stuff by DeFalco. I can't wait till it's actually part of uh, the Epic Collection so I can actually go back and kind of read everything sequentially so I can, you know, I I know I've read, you know, 282 and onwards, but I just don't remember them right now. So I'm actually, this is actually kind of making me want to go back and kind of read the, uh, you know, uh, some of the stuff that doesn't always get read as often. Um, uh, It kind of makes me want to go back to, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 275 onwards till maybe 290-ish, just to kind of get that, that last little bit of the Falco's run. Um, really, really fun and enjoyable stuff. Uh, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Next episode should be, uh, well, next uh, non-reviews episode, I should say, uh, will be coming out next week on either March 3rd or 4th. That'll be our uh, Spotlight on Logan episode. Um, really excited to watch the movie. Uh, not sure how many people we're going to have guesting on the podcast, but uh, could be a big one. Uh, could just be the regulars. Who knows? Uh, it sounds like it's probably going to be at bare minimum. Uh, Sarah Woodhead making another appearance. Um, I believe Paul Scores most likely. Um, uh, Tibor Mate or Mate should be on the show, and hopefully a bunch of others. Um, so this will be really exciting stuff. Uh, we'll try to minimize the crosstalk so we can have a, a vibrant and fun discussion of uh, the uh, the next kind of uh, Marvel branded movie, uh, which is Logan. Thanks again for joining me today, and uh, we will catch you next time on Comic Shenanigans. Bye-bye.